Well, good morning. We're, we're glad you're joining us for this, our last day in our Advent series of where we've been looking at looking forward. And as we looked at the theme of looking forward, we really wanted to examine four questions, all questions around things that we need to answer. And they are these. Are we, is our life, is it a nightmare or do we have a dream to look forward to? Are there things that we're prepared to see or are we just neglecting them? Or the th last week, the things that we pursue or do we just ignore them and put them aside? And, and this morning, in what are our lives invested? Or are we just spending our time? So as we consider these and consider where we're going this, this morning, as we enter into God's word, let's just pray and ask him to reveal himself to us. And so Lord, we come to you Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for this time of year that we just celebrate you and understand you in a different way. And we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The name of Nicholas Cage is a man of some, some legend when it comes to his acting ability in his career. But as Money Wise would suggest, some of his other investments, uh, some of his other things that he de uh, devoted his life to were sort of out of control, those being rather legendary. His out of control spending that Money Wise reported, that he would buy private jets and yachts and exotic animals and even dinosaur skills, uh, skulls to the degree that in the space of 10 years, it was reported that he had spent $150 million, just his money draining from him in only 10 years. And though none of us can relate to that sort of figure, that sort of uh, expenditure, we do know what it is like to invest in, in something and have it go belly up. Whether that investment is in time or in money or, or in emotion. And it's this theme that we're examining this Christmas as we wrap up. As Admittedly, it's not typically a theme that we consider around Christmas. <laughs> Truth is, Christmas is more of a time of where the, the bank accounts start bleeding red. Uh, rather than investing, it's a lot of spending. But actually, this time of year, we, we do make a lot of investments. We, we invest in, in the right gifts to give and the right relationships to pursue. And yes, sometimes the right last-minute rush to make. And in days to come, we are our minds also turn to other investments that we spend time with, like the resolutions we make and about the right health regimes that we better start or the right hobbies to take on or the right opportunities to pursue. Things we invest in to make our lives better, to make our lives happier. And when we're lucky, they do. The risk that actually does work, the gift that actually does fit, the relationship that does work, things that work well for us. But the problem is, is even as good as those investments may be, they often end up just yielding penny stock returns. And admittedly, some more pennies than others, but, but large or small, they still are returning pennies. Because sooner or later, the returns get spent the athletic body sort of saying, um, that's enough, I, I have no more to give. 
the never-apart family that now has to settle for just the occasional holiday visit, or the never-will-part relationship that actually does. Because the happiness that we want to hold on to is temporary. And it validates what, what Pascal said, that inside of us, it's only a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill, that our investments that we spend time and energy investing in, that they will come up short. Which brings us back to the question of Christmas. Because it's a time when we get a, a glimpse of some things that we think those are worth investing in. Things like when hostilities are let go and when preoccupation turns more to, to giving than to getting and life for a period of time is everything that we want it to be peace and love taking center stage but then that glimpse goes dark and after the last presence done the the drop things are picked up again the the rush and the pursuit that we do is all engaged again the too adorable puppy becomes a chew the furniture destroyer. The, the, the hit gift for Christmas, the, the drone, it just crash lands one time too many. And, and all the things that we thought, well, this adds luster to life, they sometimes get broken. And we re-enter the brokenness. Because we can't hang on to peace and hope. We, we want to, but pushed down just drives to the top again because no matter the, the things that we want to put over top to, to make life work, those things don't hold. But at the center of Christmas, we're, we're given something more, the promise of something better, the, where we're, we are invited to a place that, that what's promised doesn't disappoint, it doesn't disappear. And bizarrely, we're invited to a child, more incredibly, to a, to a baby. Not because he's cute, not because he stirs up warm emotions, but to a place that actually God calls us to surrender. <laughs> a place that actually our pride tells us is ridiculous. I mean, if you think about it, it's calling us adults and youth and children to bow to a baby. In so many ways, it, it seems ludicrous. But, but the gift of Christmas is actually a gift given to us in a way that is intended to bring us up short. It's to do the unthinkable. To lay aside our rights and our achievements and our sense of self where we draw back from the story of Christmas and understand that what God offers to us is not something that we hold on to. It's something that we let go of. It's a place quite different than achieving and attaining and accomplishing. And in that picture, we are presented with a battle. A battle that, that may cha challenge our minds, but more than that, it challenges our will. It challenges us to decide in, in what is 
your life as what is my life invested in. Once the tinsel goes, once the lights turn off, once the, the luster of Christmas dissipates, in what is my life invested? It's what Jesus said. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where rot, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart also. Where are you invested? Because if you're invested in the toys or in the stature or the accomplishment or the beauty, those things won't hold. It's an investment in some ways that doesn't make sense because it calls being surrendered, surrendered and bowed to a baby. But it's a baby that Philippians tells us, though he existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and what what Paul could have said, the form of a baby made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. And that's the miraculous invitation of Christmas in which we are called to invest. It's an investment again that is repeated as James tells us and says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will get into such and such a, a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And yet we pursue, we invest, and, and God tells us, be careful. Mark says the same sort of thing when he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and forfeit his own soul. And the disconnect is this. Because Christmas at some level is the invitation, but it's also to put up a disconnect. That, that again, that we bow before a little baby, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's what God invites us to. And our nature as people is, we're drawn to things that promise return. But the problem is they don't deliver. Oh, they might for a short season, but they, they can't hold on. But believing that we sh they should, we, we continue to go for more. A and the story is as old as Adam and Eve. Going after what they didn't have, the one thing not possessed, believing that that was the only possession wanted. They had to have the one thing that they didn't have. And that with it, the missing would be made right. And that lie has been told again and believed ever since. Lies that drive rulers to conquer kingdoms. Lies that cause a spouse to leave a marriage. And the deceived to crave more. That there's got to be something more than what I, I currently have. Lies that cause us to look over our fence and see what they have. And think I should have that too. It was this context of lies that... Israel was believing as a nation before Jesus was to come, believing that if they pursued and invested in other gods, other powers, then they would have what they wanted. And in that, they, they just turned away from God, and they missed God's arrival because of it. 
And to make that clear, God let them experience the things that they were chasing prior to Jesus coming, but also as Jesus came. And so he, he brought nations upon them. He said, you want to chase those things? I'll bring them to you. And the first one being the, the Greeks that he brought into Israel. They, they believed in the, in the investment of knowledge and wisdom. And it was something that they pursued under the Greeks. As the Greeks forced their religion and their culture and their lifestyles on the people. And yet when, when Antiochus, the leader of that, ultimately went the act of desecrating the temple and, and sacrificing pig's blood on the altar of God, the people rising up for a brief moment under Matthias, rising up for a brief moment when Antiochus said an emissary said, you bow to th- these gods. And Matthias ultimately stepping up and saying no. And ending up uh, killing Antiochus' emissary and also a priest who was willing to sacrifice to other gods. It started what was called the Maccabean Revolt, which ultimately ushered in the place of Hanukkah, which was the festival of lights where one day's supply of oil actually burned for eight days and miraculous as the temple was cleansed. You want to chase those gods? The gods of wisdom and, and knowledge? they'll come up empty. And then the Lord allowed the Romans to come in. The Romans who brought with them their investment in power. It was power that would dominate. It was power that would be oppressive coming in on Israel. And because Roman emperors came and went, there was one amongst them that did what he needed to do to ingratiate himself to power, to make himself, position himself so he was always in the right place of power. His name was Herod. He, he was better than most, in fact, probably better than all, of shifting alliances, making sure that he stayed in power. He had a chameleon-like ability that he would stay as Israel's puppet king but he was no puppet when it came to the power he exerted. He, he killed his son. He killed his wife. He killed his first, uh, two firstborn children. He slaughtered other family members, all because he wanted to stay in power, because power was his God. And he further wanted to ingratiate himself to the people by, by investing and building and building these impressive things. But, but his investments in what he achieved and the power that he had, they also came out empty. So empty that when the day of his death was to come, he ordered that all prominent citizens in Israel would be killed at the same time that he died, so all Israel would be in mourning, trying to hold on to his investments even to the very end, still trying to orchestrate events. And you know, it's not much different than sometimes what you and I do. We want to achieve, we want to accomplish, we want to get, because it gives us value. It gives us a place of stature. It gives us a place of meaning. In our own self-created worlds, we do it in the, the ruler in the business or the athlete that measures himself against the 12 others on his team, or the salesman is the top of his small pyramid, 
or the beauty that is outshining others in the room. All, all places where we establish ourselves. But in truth, the investments that we pursue, they're just like being the, the largest ant in the smallest anthill. Nothing of anything that is noticed outside that little anthill. And that was a little different than what was understood 2,000 years ago. Under Greece, people investing in knowledge and power. Under Rome, understanding power that would dominate. Under Herod, achievement and alliances that would keep him in power. Investing. Looking at things just like what was done in the garden. Believing that if we just held something more, that will make our lives complete. Like we do, chasing the never-hads that will, in some ways, make up for what we didn't have. And it's easy to dismiss those things of Herod and the Greeks and the Romans as, as something they do, and, and yet we do the same in just less highlighted ways. And to... To reference that, God gives us a picture in the birth narrative of Jesus where he takes us to the common. He takes us not to people of import, not to people of significance. He, he takes us to a hillside, to sheep and shepherds. He, he takes us to people who chased their investments, who actually walked on all fours, the investments that help just actually help them do life, just the daily of life, putting food on the table. They were just shepherds. Shepherds who had no prominence in society. They were just people getting by. They just wanted to make sure that their investment got to the marketplace safe and unswallowed. And the fact of the shepherds is that they were a, a people that were regarded very poorly amongst the, the people. Actually, the rabbis uh, banished that, that sheep be uh, able to be looked after anywhere but except but on the hills. The Mishnah, the, one of the Jewish writings, described them uh, shepherds as having so little value that if a shepherd fell into a pit, he needn't be rescued. It was just quite acceptable just to leave him there and die. <laughs> and yet the mystery and the miracle of Christmas is Jesus came to the ones that had no standing. He, he made himself known to those that had no, no curriculum vitae to impress. They came, he came, investing. Investing in us, the God of the universe. Investing in a way that we never would to a people that he never should in a way that we never could. Investing and inviting and loving. Investing in you and I that are pursuing the ladder climb and finding that it doesn't reach where you thought it would reach. Investing in those who have done all the right things and pursued all, the, lived all the right lives and yet finding the right is just never enough. It just doesn't, just doesn't, uh, satisfy investing in those that 
have done the religious of, of trying to do all things right and, and yet still feeling all empty. And yes, investing in those who have done life all wrong, for whom there seems to be no way back. There, there, there's no place of invitation because you've just messed up royally in your home, in your life, in your personal life, in the things you've pursued and the things that have held on to you. And in that, God still inviting, still wanting us to come, still loving just as before. No matter what we tried and no matter what we have done, choosing to invest in us. God doing the incomprehensible. Choosing to invest in us at the cost of his son. And it is the Christmas story that tells us for unto us, not to us that have reason that he would come, but to us that had no, no justification that he would come. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government may it will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. God calling people to see a treasure of great worth, yet he didn't present it that way. He, he didn't present anything that seemed to have any sense of value at all, just, just a baby. A baby that calls us, what will your will do? What you, your mind will tell you this, what are you willing to do with this baby? He came in a place of poverty. And he came to a people of small importance in a place too small. In a manner that was totally improbable. How does God himself come and reveal himself in this manner? In other words, he came as someone, as a treasure that won't be seen in casual glance. It won't be seen in just singing a song and moving, moving onward. And we'll get a later glimpse of this treasure. But it'll be even less attractive than what we see in a cradle. We're told by Isaiah the prophet, he says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. He was a man of suffering and the familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He was stricken and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are given a picture of him that doesn't come in full attraction. It, it doesn't come as he's so overwhelming that how could you miss him? We could sing all the carols and de decorate the story as much as we like, but scripture is very clear. He says he had no beauty. He had no majesty. He, there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. 
Yet God says this is a treasure. We are said it's a treasure that we are told unto us a son is given. A son, we are told, will be a king whose reign will never end. He has told us that he will be a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And it's interesting while we're told that his name will be called Emmanuel, there are others that will name the name of Emmanuel. There are people you may know that are called Emmanuel. There will people that you may know that are called Yeshua or Joshua or uh, Jesus, Jesus. There'll be people that we know that are called by that name. But there will be nobody that will be called by these four names. There will be nobody that is called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful has about it the meaning of this, is the word pala. And the literal meaning of this is it's a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. That which is separated from the normal course of events. The Bible saying that he is a wonder. And the word is used in Psalm 139, verse 6, in the same way. It says, such wonder is, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high, I can't attain it. It's wonder beyond anything seen, beyond what, what minds can understand. It's the miraculous. And the miraculous is that this wonder is also our counselor, but not a counselor as we knew it, not a clinician nodding his head as he reflects on the things just heard or who offers an occasional insight. No, this is the wisdom of the counselor that speaks to a king who sees what the king cannot see and who knows what a king can't possibly know. We are told in Isaiah that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. He neither reprove after the hearing of his, of his ears. He, he's so beyond any counselor that you and I can imagine. He sees what we can't see. He is our wonderful counselor. But he's not just that. He's also, we're told by Isaiah, that he is the mighty God. The word is chosen, it is El Gabor. And El Gabor means that he is mighty warrior. We, we often hear the name of God, and it's spoken as a, an expression of, of dismay or a word of contempt. He, God is referred to as the spirit in the sky or, or the man who guides our success. Or he's some celestial teddy bear to which we can draw close. But he's not. He is a warrior and he is our champion. His thoughts far above our thoughts. His ways far above our ways. Isaiah 55, 9. I'm not sure if I've got it here. I don't. In small measure gives us a picture. It says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And don't miss the picture of this, of the mighty God. It says, it says, his thoughts, his ways are higher than the earth. They are higher than your ways. The earth's closest star is 93 million miles away. The next closest 
star after that is Alpha Centauri. It's distance beyond anything that we can make sense of. And in that, we are given the picture of how majestic, how mighty, how warrior that our God is. He is incomprehensible. He is beyond anything. He is not the man. He is not the man upstairs. And the mystery of this, the one whose might is beyond everything is the one that says, I lay it all aside and become a baby. A baby so that any of us can come. And as we come to also know the, fourth, the third name of him, that he is everlasting father from eternity past to eternity future. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the almighty who comes in humility so we can come near. Not as the mighty God, but as the everlasting Father. So we could be embraced in his love that everything you and I have dreamed the Father could be, everything that our fathers were not, everything you want a father to be, Jesus is, come to us, just as he came to a shepherd. Again, not revealing himself with the mighty, but as one that we can come close to. Close to is the last name we're told is that he is the Prince of Peace. Rich Mullins sings a song, Hold Me, Jesus. And as the verse captures it well. It says, So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been my King of glory. Won't you be my Prince of Peace? But not just so we can know peace during pain, during periods of pain and ugliness that life may bring. But so we can be transformed of a peace so that we can know the peace of God, that we're forgiven, that we're loved, that we're made new because of Christmas. It's the hope of our sins forgiven. Not, not, not maybe hope, but hope that's real and that we'll have a life forever with him, a gift that is given to us for us to take if we step into and bend our will to him. That he is the one that is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And that is the great news of Christmas. So as I close, I ask you this question. In what this Christmas, in what is your life invested? In stocks that ultimately will be destined to go bankrupt? in a larger house, in a better job, a, a, a better relationship? Or in the love of the one who was sent to die in order that you and I might live? Because the return on this investment is new life forever with God. And Isaiah picks that picture up just a bit when he says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. With righteousness he shall judge the poor, and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist.
<laughs> then he describes what is in store, the picture of what life will be with him. The wolf shall, lie, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf will lie together, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. This Christmas, the investment that is offered to you, the child before whom you and I have been invited to bow. In a few days, you're going to step into the gift giving. But may you know the great, wonderful gift, the investment that he wants you and I to know. I just want to pray for you this morning that you may know this Christmas his great love, that he pursued you. He set the dream that he wants you to live where your lives should be invested all according to what you do with Jesus who died on a cross so you and I might live. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this gift that you've given us that is a treasure beyond anything we understand. We thank you for this. Thank you for your great love. And Lord, people, as people celebrate in a few days of just being around you and, and being around celebration with, in a strange time, may they know that you are the God Almighty that gives us life everlasting. And we thank you for that in the name of Christ. Amen.